Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. As COVID-19 continues to affect the way our children are learning, it's no secret that teachers in schools the world over have had to adapt and think on their feet. Like so many times in history past, we often find ourselves calling on our creativity and adaptability, producing some of the most effective and positive outcomes from difficult circumstances. In today's episode of Keystone Education Radio, I'll be talking with North Hills Middle School history teacher, Joe Welch, to hear how he's incorporating creative approaches to engage students and fellow educators. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Oh, Annette, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, our conversation. Yeah, me too. So can you first start by uh, telling us a little bit about your career in teaching? Oh, absolutely. It's um, it's hard to believe how fast time does fly uh, when I look at I I always still consider myself a, a young teacher, but I'm in my 14th year of teaching here at North Hills. So I guess I'm now middle of the pack if, if yeah. I had to, to put that out there. Um, but really... Uh, I've spent my entire year teaching social studies here at North Hills Middle School. Actually, we started off as a junior high, so we've seen that evolution uh, from the the junior high experience to the middle school. Um, I I don't want to call it a movement, but the reawakening of the middle school experience. Uh, And throughout my entire career, I've really been blessed to have supportive administration, supportive school boards, really supportive colleagues that have put me in positions that continue to grow and continue to learn and not just learn from uh, from my from my colleagues, but also to be able to give back and participate in trainings and developing uh, developments, not just in house in district, but also seeking out colleagues from all around Pennsylvania and really all throughout the United States and the world. So Great. I guess if I had to quickly summarize, it's been really just a career that I've looked forward to continue to growing and and will do so in the future. That's great. And so this school year, obviously, you said you've been teaching for 14 years, but this school year has been anything but traditional. But it seems that you view it as a motivating factor to change things up. Can you tell us a little bit about the attention you're getting for some of the creative ways to fill your classroom's empty seats while students are learning from home? Oh, certainly. This year is unlike anything we've ever seen before. And I, and I think that's, you know, in many ways, it's a cliche, but in many ways, it, it obviously it's, it's true. Um, and it's been stated time and time again. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know, I know myself and my colleagues every year, we're looking to change things up. How can we improve? Mm-hmm. And this year's sure. really no different. It's just coming in with that mindset of how can we uh, spur more, more student conversations? How can we do things a little bit better than last year? How can we be more equitable than last year? And so walking into this school year, looking around it really from a physical standpoint, obviously with social physical distancing and social distancing and having to have kids spread out, I knew that I was not going to have my full classes in. And that's why I, I had the idea um, really thinking about, well, how can I make students one smile? How can we make mm-hmm. them physically feel like this is a, a an, I don't want to say a normal classroom, but a normal classroom experience as, as much as possible. But also, I open my class every year, uh, every school year, with a simple question. As a history teacher, I ask them, what does American history look like to you? And I ask students at the start of the year, okay, can you draw this, draw what you think American history is? And that always leads to some great conversations, right? And about what is and what isn't American history or how we think of it. And I thought that by putting some uh craftsmanship together here and putting some cardboard cutouts uh, and some images of American um, 
icons and for that matter people that they don't know who it is that's sitting next to them in my seats it would accomplish multiple things more so than just the physical standpoint of you know hey there's somebody in my seat so i can't sit here mm -hmm. but, you know why is who's frederick d why is he sitting next to me uh mm -hmm. you know i know abraham lincoln he must be this popular guy but maybe do, do they have some kind of relationship and it really has spurred that conversation uh, in my classroom throughout the entire year. I did this back in August of, okay, why are these people significant? Don't just accept that, you know, American history is only George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. What about all of these other people? And then who mm -hmm. else can we add to this conversation? So it's really been a, a, a gift that's, if I call it a gift that keeps on giving, uh, it really has been a contributing factor throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So you've physically got these historical characters sitting there and what a great, you know, prompter of discussion. Oh, it really has been. Uh, it will, it, admittedly, when the students first came in the first week of school, I think they were a little bit puzzled of, you know, what is going on here? Why? Because they may they may have seen it at sporting events, and uh, but I did have a little fun as well. I had some different administrators and, and different uh, staff members from around the district. So not only did it lead to that historical conversation, it was also uh, another pathway, as I said earlier, just to to get students to smile um, in a time yeah. that had a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's for sure needed. So you've talked a bit about the students' reaction when they first came into classroom and the types of conversation that it sparked. And so do you see a difference in teaching the curriculum this way over years past, or would this just fall into the category of kind of that, you know, each year looking for a new way to teach and that year-over-year -year evolution? Well, I, I certainly think that it's, a, as you said, a year-after-year -year evolution or revolution, mm -hmm. however we would want to call it. Um, but I think, you know, bringing these cardboard cutouts, it, it, it was a small uh, gesture that I could make or a small piece, but it, it commits to the overall philosophy that, you know, students, they want to engage with history. They want to engage with any curriculum, whether it's a math class or a science class, they want to feel part of it and immersed in it uh, and, and really want to have that that ability to ask questions of, well, why are we learning this? Why am I, as I said, sitting next to Frederick Douglass or, you know, why <laughs> is it significant? But the cardboard cutouts, as I said, it was a small piece to that, but mm -hmm. just going with this entire philosophy of how can I, you know, I tell students, you know, it's not what you know, it's what you can do with what you know. How can you communicate your thoughts to, to maybe somebody that doesn't agree with you, uh, mm -hmm. to, to somebody that doesn't understand you? And so all of this just builds up to that entire philosophy of, you know, how can you communicate and do it effectively? And that's what we've had to do throughout this entire year uh, as far as thinking outside the box or thinking creatively to, to still allow students to use their voice and to ask questions and to participate in the in, entire school year, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. And to do so as another added opportunity, how can we do that equitably? And so if we call it an evolution, yes, but COVID certainly has, has caused us to expedite that evolution uh, in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. I think in so many respects. What are some other ways that you've changed your approach to instruction throughout this year of remote teaching? So we've been, just like so many schools in Pennsylvania, we've had a little remote, we've had a little hybrid, we've had a little in-person, and we don't know what's coming next. And I, ultimately, I'm a firm believer in many of my own learnings uh, that in the power of place, that I want to get students on site uh, so that they can they can learn by, by being places. Now, uh, with our own 
model that we've had here at North Hills School District, uh, we've pretty much every Wednesday we've had a virtual day. And rather than look at that as, you know what, this is something that's prohibitive. Now, what am I going to do on this Wednesday? Am I, am I just going to, you know, obviously I don't want to have students do a worksheet or something along those lines. Mm, How yeah. can I still be engaging here and let them get to something that maybe they wouldn't normally have experienced? So every Wednesday, uh, really throughout the fall, uh, we, myself and, and two other colleagues that I teach with in eighth grade, uh, both my American history colleagues, we started to think, you know, well, can we go around? Pittsburgh's a pretty historic city. And, and a lot of the things that we learn about, uh, unfortunately, many of our students, they haven't been to some of these places that are local to them. Maybe they're five miles down the road, but or maybe they've been there and they haven't experienced it yet. So that's where we started to have this idea of can't we can we start taking these virtual I don't even want to call them field trips, but just road shows, uh, allowing students. And we started off uh, on uh, when we learn about the the French and Indian War. We we started by going to um, Fort Duquesne, um, which is really at the crux of the Three Rivers in Pittsburgh. And mm-hmm. then we started to branch out of okay, what's next? And students started to say, well, where are you going next Wednesday? And it became really this. Uh, I, I think many teachers, uh, our, our, our gas levels are sometimes around E, but it became this <laughs> yeah. way to refill ourselves of, okay, yeah, they like this. This is great. This is allowing them to uh, experience something. So that's when we started to go out to, um, to Ligonier, to Fort Necessity. And then we thought, okay, what's next? Well, let's go to Washington, D.C. And we started going to different places around uh, not only Western Pennsylvania, but the entire East Coast. And we had some additional plans here before some travel restrictions went into place. I know we were looking forward to, to spending a weekend or at least going up on a uh, Tuesday night uh, to to Philadelphia to go to be able to go to Independence Hall. So we have some things in in. Hopefully, if, if, if numbers start to go our way, we can continue bringing those experiences to students. But that, that's just one way that, that we've looked to uh, engage our students and really bring some light out of a, a negative situation. Yeah, I don't know. That might become so popular. You might be called upon to do that even when the students return to in-person. You know, it, it's a way to almost accomplish, a, as you say, maybe you don't call it a field trip, but on-site teaching, you know, something of that nature. That could be something that sticks. That sounds really fun. Absolutely. For, for both you and the students. So how about um, connecting with fellow teachers? Uh, what, in what ways have you made connections with fellow teachers during this pandemic, in particularly around some of these inventive approaches that you've been using? Well, just looking back, and that's a great question, looking back to even just last spring, I think many teachers felt uh, a term that I've seen time and time again was Groundhog Day. Was mm. okay, we're, we keep doing the same things over and over, and, and it feels like almost like you're walking in quicksand. How can we, how can we collaborate to move forward? And what really has happened is is because of that collaboration. And and I mentioned earlier that our gas tanks sometimes get a little near E. Uh, but how can you refill it? And I mentioned students are inspiring, but also just looking around of the solutions that other teachers have offered and getting that encouragement. And often for me, it's through my own um, professional learning networks through organizations that I'm involved in. And I know so many teachers are on uh, Twitter and and other social media platforms inspiring each other and saying, here's what's working for you. Even just are asking the question, you know, what what can I do with this lesson? How can I improve this lesson and being willing? And I think this is across the board for so many teachers, not just in Pennsylvania, but obviously throughout the world, but being, having that humility to say, okay, I might not have the best idea here, 
uh, but how can I improve it? And it really, it's been really inspiring. And one organization that I really has, has really impacted me, a network of teachers that I'm involved with, it's called the Gilder Lehrman Institute of American History. Mm. Uh, we, not, we saw a need not only to respond and support each other, um, but we were able to put up a pop-up history school together in the spring for students that may have had seen their history classes, maybe only meeting two days a week. Um, and, and then from there, it grew into, well, how can we support other teachers? And we had teacher seminars over the summer uh, where we had historians um, and lead scholars from, from different organizations, uh, different schools throughout prestigious universities uh, that we were able to collaborate with. And I'm looking forward to in the spring uh, getting back, we have another pop-up history school coming back. And this kind of fuel uh, outside of the regular school day. And I keep mm -hmm. referring to that term because that's what it is. I think we're all looking for that continued inspiration and looking for those networks of other teachers of what's working, what's not working, how can we improve? Uh, that's just one example of it. And uh, I, I think we're all kind of uh, for lack of better terms, surviving uh, in mm -hmm. many ways, but also yeah. I think we can do that and still kind of continue to learn and continue to push our borders here uh, of what we're comfortable with. And so that way, when we come out of this post-COVID world, we're going to hit the ground running. And I, I don't really mean that um, with teacher speak. I really do mean that we can come out of this with, with an opportunity to take these positives and move forward. Yeah. And if you had to kind of think about some of what you've learned over this past year, you know, some of these new methods you've explored and, and kind of the new ways that you've engaged both teachers and students, is there anything that you kind of, you know, think you'd, you, you definitely want to hang on to and incorporate even going forward when things resume normalcy? Oh, definitely. And I think the, the overarching word is equity. Mm. Uh, that's really, I think that this entire experience is not only from district level, state level, but just individual decisions that are made every single day of how um, I'm approaching a lesson. Uh, equity is now such a, a piece that has come to the forefront of mm -hmm. when I am delivering whatever type of lesson it is. Is it accessible to every student? Is it, and, and again, using that term equitable? Um, and also, am I doing the right things to be flexible to the needs of every student? And I mm -hmm. think that pause that this experience has, has given all of us an opportunity to pause and as, as busy as it's been. And I know everybody has busy schedules, but looking into our own lessons and looking into our own systems and thinking, how are we going to do this moving forward? Because we can't just go back to how things were because it's the same inequitable system. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so are we, uh, catering the needs to every student to get them what they need. And I think yeah. that's what's, that's what's going to stick with me of, because I now analyze and sometimes overanalyze almost to a point of paralysis of, you know, <laughs> I, as every decision I'm making, yeah, good for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it all sounds like fun stuff, great stuff for your students. Uh, I want to thank you for kind of sharing some of your stories with us today. I think it sounds really great and it's great inspiration for other districts. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Oh, and thank you very much for your time. Keystone Education Radio is a production of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. This episode is brought to you in part by Keystone Purchasing Network and Tremco Roofing and Building Maintenance. Visit our website at keyedradio.org for more information on today's discussion and past episodes. Subscribe, share, follow us on social media so you can stay tuned in to new topics and interviews. 
This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.